Welcome to the Sovereign Love Stream podcast with your hosts, Danny and Vanessa Panzella Velez. Join us and special expert guests as we discuss love, sex, parenting, psychedelics, and spirituality. Please subscribe now and join us bi-weekly on Sundays at SovereignLoveStream.com for our live video broadcast. Please check out our social media on censorship-free platforms like Minds.com, Float.app, and Odyssey.com. Find links to all of our social media at SovereignLoveStream.com. If you would like to support our show with an energy exchange, please visit us at Patreon.com slash SovereignLoveStream. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Sovereign Love Stream. You want to introduce the topic? <laughs> Hi. Um, happy Sunday. I'm Vanessa, and this is Danny. And this week we are talking about uh, divorce, <laughs> coping with divorce, um, and co-parenting, step-parenting, all that good stuff. We're both divorced. We were both previously married, and I have a son, nine-year-old, from my previous marriage. So, you know, we've had a lot of challenges in our relationship centered around um, both both coming out of former marriages and also the challenges um, mostly on Vanessa's part. But, you know, there are are challenges even for me, um, both dealing with with my ex-wife and co-parenting with her and then co-parenting with Vanessa. Um, and she'll share some of her feelings about that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of, there are a lot of challenges involved in blended families. Um, so that's the topic that we're planning to discuss today. And hopefully, you know, you guys will take some value out of our experiences and how, or even share some of your own experiences or ways in which you've learned how to cope. Um, Absolutely. If you're watching this on YouTube, if you leave a YouTube comment um, and or a question or or, or idea um, of how you've coped with some of these issues, absolutely, um, we'd be happy to feature that as well. So definitely, let us know what you guys are thinking. Yep. So. So let's get started. How do you? In. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Um. Well, as we stated, we've both been previously married, and um. I think one of the things that we realized early on, especially in our relationship, is how we choose our partners. Uh, The fact that we select partners, um, especially through our work in therapy, we learned that a lot of the reasons why we choose our partners or some of the underlying reasons why we choose our partners are um, our effort to resolve childhood issues. Um, now that could be related to parents, to caregivers, or any other situation or trauma we may have encountered as children. And obviously that means that when we move on to another relationship, some of that baggage is still carried on from our previous relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, my past marriage was definitely much shorter than Danny's. Um, I was married for about a year and a half when I got separated. And um, I guess that made it a bit of an easier cut. Um, We didn't have children together. So that, you know, it was easier to just um, cut ties at that point. I don't feel as though I have as much um, 
I mean, I do. Ha I, I recognize that I do have plenty of baggage. Um, one of the things that was a major issue for me in my marriage was uh, lack of communication. Uh, we had a really hard time talking to each other and becoming vulnerable with each other. Um, I think the breaking point in our marriage was uh, when I got pregnant and had a miscarriage and how he dealt with that, how he dealt with even the news of us having a baby. And I think that created a lot of fears for me surrounding pregnancy. Um, it isn't until recently that I started letting go of those fears. Um, I recognized that I was reacting a lot to Danny's concerns with having a baby early on in our relationship because I was afraid of the of the same thing. I was afraid of him not wanting to have a baby with me. And that carried on its own set of, of fears and reactions. So I think one of the things that we've recognized or we've learned recently, or we're able to identify more um, lately, is when we're reacting to each other, sometimes it's not a reaction to Danny. I'm having a reaction to what I'm afraid he might, be thinking based on the behavior of my ex-husband mm -hmm. and, and going even deeper, maybe reactions of our parents. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, were you going to yeah. go there next? No, no, no. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's absolutely it. Um, it's you ultimately that's what it is, right? It's fear of, of reliving those traumas as a child, regardless of who, which parent it was or which caregiver it was. Yeah, for me, um, a lot of my relationship problems that I can see now in hindsight, a lot of my problems um, resulted from my feeling that my mother, I guess I, I had, there was this period in my mom's life and now I can kind of look at it more objectively, but I basically in my like early teens, like preteens and teens, my mom kind of went through this period where I guess she was frustrated that she was, um, not that she was a stay-at-home mom, but I guess she had been devoted to her children for so many years. She was a stay-at-home like on and off at times. And I guess she went through this period of frustration where she wanted to kind of get some of her own life back. So she, she was like going to the gym a lot and she would go out with her friends. And I guess I interpreted that as like, I guess, cause I didn't have like a lot of conscious memories from, from younger. I interpreted that as, oh, my mom, it's like annoying for her to have kids. She wants to be out, you know, like going to the gym and doing other things. Now as a parent, I realize like you need these mental health for, for mental health reasons. You need to be able to like have some alone time away from your kids, time with your friends, decompress, you know, time at the gym to, you know, for, for, you know, self-care. Um, but at the time I kind of developed this idea that, you know, it was, it was kind of an inconvenience for her to have kids. And so like that just became a belief system that I integrated. And so now I viewed everything she did through that lens. Um, so basically I developed this like complex that my mother didn't love me enough. And so now I projected that onto my partners and, um, it became an issue. So it's only, you know, the last couple of years that I'm really able to unravel all this um, and look at it consciously and realize when Vanessa, because she's someone who needs a little bit of alone time, you know, when she goes into the living room to kind of get away from me for a little while, I don't have to take that personally. I don't have to take that as like some kind of micro rejection. 
right? Like she just needs some mental health time to herself, some self-care time. And that's, there's no problem with that. Um, I feel like I might've digressed a little bit. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's that ultimately those are like the little moments and at it, in the beginning, that used to be rejection for you. Yeah. You know, if I took that alone time, it was like, oh, why are you rejecting me? Why don't you want to be around me? Why are you taking time away from me? As opposed to looking at it as, oh, she just wants some self-care time, some alone time. And that has, it's not a reaction to me. Right. right. Um, but I also think that, um, you know, especially in the past few weeks, we've kind of been diving into at times those, those feelings that, um, these reactions to each other that are really just reactions of those childhood traumas. And at times they get mixed up with our previous partners. Yeah, for sure. Um, my mom passed away. So I think that created a, a unique a unique situation where then I projected those, those things I used to project, project onto my mother. I started projecting them onto my ex-wife um, and reacting to her the same way I would react to my mother. And so I think that has, that caused a lot of our relationship issues as well. I certainly contributed to them. And because you guys had such a long relationship from when you guys were teenagers, we were together adulthood. for almost 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then it's, it's, it becomes mixed together, right? Yeah. Where it's not as obviously it's not as clear that it's all in reaction to to your relationship or your perceived relationship with your mother. And that's not to say that me and my ex-wife didn't have our own issues just that we developed during the marriage. We certainly did. Um, and I think it's, it's important to, to know because I think sometimes when you're discussing ex-wives or ex-partners, um, there can be this feeling of like, well, it's their fault that we're not together anymore, right? Um, but I think it's important to understand that we all bring these sort of childhood traumas into our relationship. And if the relationship doesn't work out, it's it's not really necessarily, like it's, I don't think it's helpful or healthy to cast blame on each other. I think everybody shares in the blame. And in that sense, we're all kind of innocent, right? Because we're all victims of some of these things, these, these childhood traumas that we've, um, right. Like, so for me as a 13 year old, not being able to understand that my mom just needed some, some self care, yeah. right. That wasn't my fault. It wasn't her fault. Really. There's no one to blame. And so I think it's important to get past blaming and just kind of look at our partners or ex-partners in that way. And that has been tremendously helpful in, especially because, because I have a nine-year-old with my ex, I need to have a good, healthy relationship with her despite all of those things. Um, and being able to look at it that way has made it very much easier for us to have a healthy working co-parenting relationship with her. And um, yeah, I think I think it's crucial to, to not blame, to kind of look at it and say, well, I can recognize these traumas that I have without even getting into like trying to psychoanalyze our ex-partners, right? Just recognizing that they're suffering from their own traumas as well. And, you know, maybe at this point, it doesn't make sense for us to like delve into her issues, but yeah. it makes sense to delve into our own. And then at least to have compassion and say, you know what, 
this person who I felt hurt me was also hurting. My mother was hurting. My mother came from a very traumatic childhood as well. An alcoholic father. Her mother died when she was very young. And so she basically grew up without a mother. Her sisters mothered her. So, you know, there's a lot of trauma there as well. Um, and I think that's something that we all suffer from. And so we just kind of can look in general general at everybody with with compassion because we're all kind of going through these same issues together. We're all just trying to figure it out at the same time and stumbling through it because I think not um, not nobody has like all of the answers. Yeah. We don't all know what we're going through. Um, for us, it's taken a lot of work, a lot of inner work to uh, identify the problems that are within us. And at the same time, um, by doing that, it makes it easier for us to have empathy for others who are probably experiencing the same thing. Some may not even recognize those inner demons that we're carrying or these inner traumas. And it's still, it, it's still, um, we're still capable of empathizing with them, even if they haven't recognized those inner traumas. And I think for us, um, kind of seeing it that way was a huge game changer. Um, we're co-parenting, uh, and that's, um, from my perspective, it's been a little, um, I mean, it's it's been awkward, I think, for all of us. I don't think just for myself, <laughs> but um, from my perspective, coming in and, and helping to parent a child that is not my own child, where both parents are also present, is a little um, intimidating. There were a lot of times where I was struggling through um, not not overstepping, uh, knowing my place in in the co-parenting relationship. Um, in the very beginning, when it was like drop off and pick up, it was awkward. It, you know, I didn't know what to say or what to do or how to respond. And I understand, you know, I can only imagine that for her it was the same. And it took a lot of time, I think, for us to finally like find um, some kind of footing or some kind of relationship where we could kind of set our defense mechanisms down. I think in the very beginning, it there were a lot of defense mechanisms up. It was very uh, intimidating probably for all of us. I mean, Danny being stuck in the middle of his ex-wife and his new partner, and how do you navigate that relationship? How do you navigate parenting under those circumstances, because, you know, regardless of how we feel about each other and about the situation, we are parenting a child, you know, and that's a big responsibility. And, you know, in, in moments like that, um, sometimes it's the, you have this moment of like, should I just ignore what I feel, bury that and, and just go on with the parenting or do I let it explode? And we've kind of been able to find a middle ground where we've been able to talk about it, work through it. Um, where we can even talk to my ex-wife about some of the things that we're feeling or issues. And I also want to note that the kids, the children involved in these situations can absolutely sense the tension. Um, it did take a few years before we were able to have like where, where Joanna and Vanessa were able to have like a friendly, like relationship, right. Where it was kind of before that, it was kind of like just avoiding each other. Yeah. And, and even when you were in each other's presence, like you didn't quite know what to say. So like, it was kind of like ignoring each other. In, yeah. In some way. Yeah. Where it's understandable. It's a, it's an awkward situation for sure. 
But Xander, when he was younger, we would pick him up or drop him off. And Xander would say, come on, I want you to come inside, Vanessa. I want you to meet my mom. So here's this kid who has two important women in his life. Like he's always loved Vanessa and had a great relationship with her. And I think he couldn't quite under, you know, obviously he was only three, four at the time. So he couldn't understand like why it was awkward, <laughs> why, yeah, she wasn't going to invite us in to like, but we've gotten to the point now where we can, we, we go, we've gone to his plays at school together. We've had dinner with her um, at restaurants. And so things are a lot better because of th that communication being opened. Um, but to get to that point, we had to deal with a lot of those. A uh, lot of that inner work. Um, the, I, the insecurities. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it took, it took a while. And it was, it was very obvious, like Danny says, that children pick up on this. They pick up on that like strange energy or that strange feeling. Um, one, of the, um, one of the funny experiences we had was in the beginning when Xander was first spending the first few nights or the first few weekends with us, um, he would try to get out of things by saying, in my mom's house, I can do this. Or in my mom's house, I'm allowed to do that. And we realized that what he was, I mean, at, all children, regardless of the situation between the parents, they test boundaries. I mean, that's, yeah. that's just the way children are. Sure. Um, but I think for him, it kind of became obvious where he started having this I idea or perhaps an impression that we weren't communicating with each other. And one of the things he used to do was try to get away with things by saying, well, my mom lets me do this at home which was kind of surprising and shocking to us at times, the things he was trying to get away with, oh, yeah. you know? And, and we were like, that doesn't seem right. And one of the things we realized was we have to communicate. We absolutely have to communicate. And then once it, w it became a thing of like, really? Well, let me check with her. I would say things like that because I think with me, he felt like, oh, if they're in person and they don't talk to each other, <laughs> I can't imagine that they're talking to each other when they're not around. Um, so he would say things like that. And when I started responding like, oh, well, let me check with your mom and see if that's true. Then I would get the face like, oh, my God, I got caught. <laughs> and, and he would do the same thing with me yeah. where he would tell me, oh, well, mommy lets me do it or something like that. And I was like, oh, OK, let me let me ask mommy what she thinks then. Yeah. And, and, like, and then he admitted, oh, well, okay. She didn't really say that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think once, once he started seeing the relationship change between the three of us, I think that also changed for him uh, the dynamic of, of recognizing that it wasn't that he was in a divided household, but now he just had a bigger household. And I think that was uh, really a changing point in the relationship for all of us. Um, I think one of the biggest things for me was, you know, I've been struggling with fertility issues and I had to do a lot of inner work because I was feeling like a victim constantly, like, oh, why can't I have children? Why isn't this, you know, what, why is the universe punishing me? Like looking at things that way. And it wasn't, um, I was actually through a conversation with my mom that she made a comment like, well, you're really lucky because you're in a situation where you do get to parent at least part time. And it took me shifting my attitude um, to a to an attitude of gratitude, really, that I began to realize, well, yeah, if this hadn't been the case, if this wasn't the situation, I would have no opportunity to parent at all. 
And a couple of years ago for Mother's Day, um, I, I actually sent her a message and I said that to her. You know, I thanked her for allowing me to be in Xander's life. And I told her that I appreciated her and admired her for, you know, dealing with the situation the way she was dealing with it. And um, I think that kind of set the tone a little bit for the relationship that we've developed over the past couple of years. Um, now, it, it took a lot of inner work for myself because it meant taking myself out of a place of, of victimhood and also recognizing that she was probably struggling through her own, you know, through the circumstances herself of having to be a single parent part time, of having to share her son with somebody else, you know, and, and I think that's that's hard. And uh, for a moment, I was looking at it selfishly and worrying about how I felt about it without really paying any attention to what she might have been going through. And I think a lot of us tend to have that selfish perspective of like, you know, this, this isn't fair for me, but what about the other person in this circumstance? And I think after that, we have kind of both been able to show appreciation for each other. She's reciprocated that appreciation as well and, and thanked me for um, parenting her son also. And, and that kind of shaped things in a different way for us to be able to go to some of Xander's um, school activities and sit next to each other and chat and take pictures of him at the same time and kind of joke about, you know, the things, the funny things that kids do. And that's, that's been really like that really shifted from the first couple of years yeah. where we were barely acknowledging each other's presence. I honestly think that that communication you guys had where you shared that appreciation, you know, um, she also expressed back that she appreciated that Vanessa was so loving and caring because a lot of step parents, um, you know, we've, we've, we've had experiences with step parents where they reject the, the stepchildren because they see it, I guess, as a connection to the ex-wife. And if the, if the relationship isn't good, then, um, I guess they reject the children as well. In some cases we, you know, we have, we know some people that, that that's the case. And it's terrible because the, the children are really the, they suffer the most. And so I think that was a real turning point when you guys were able to get to the place where you could express that gratitude yeah. for each other, appreciate those things about each other. Um, and that really shifted the, the relationship. And I think I really look at that as the turning point. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. And I think it's great for Xander to be like, performing in the school play and from the stage to see us all sitting together and chatting and laughing and smiling and seeing that there's like that. A larger family now. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's me. I think that's very like a, a great positive thing for a child to feel the security of that, mm -hmm. you know, rather there being all this negative tension, um, which can definitely make kids feel insecure. And forget yeah. about it. If the if the step parents are warring with each other, or parents are using their kids as like leverage against their ex partners, I mean, thank God we don't have those those issues. Yeah, I mean, I think that a, a major part of that is that Xander's mom is not um, is not like a vengeful person or an angry person. And I think to a certain degree, if she were, it would be understandable. I think sometimes we forget 
that people are reacting um, to their pain. And I know there are situations where there are parents that are vengeful. There are parents that get angry and they use the kids as pawns. And it's so heartbreaking because it causes so much damage to the children. Like Danny said, there's so much insecurity associated with that. Um, but I think that when you're on the side of, um, when you're on the receiving end of a parent who's being aggressive or who's being nasty or using the children, um, our first instinct is to raise your defense mechanisms and yeah. to assert, you know, assert your, your rights or your dominance. And that I, it's understandable to have that reaction, but ultimately I think it's really important to recognize that that person is acting that way out of pain. Right. Um, or fear. Or fear of but losing fear, their... really, that comes from pain, sure. Yeah, it, ultimately, it all comes from a, a place of pain. And I think once we start recognizing those things and that it's not a, a personal attack on, on yourself, that it's more like this person is really hurting. And how can I how can I help? How can I remind them that I'm not here to fight with them, to argue with them, to take the kids away from them? I'm here to try to have the most peaceful relationship as possible. Um, the most peaceful relationship possible and ultimately for the benefit of our children. Yeah. yeah. And I, it can be super intimidating. I know there's like this stigma associated with step parenting. Um, I mean, Lord knows we have a bunch of Disney movies that <laughs> always portray <laughs> a stepmom as an evil stepmom. And I think that a lot of us coming in as step parents have that fear of, oh my God, I can't be the strict parent because then I'm gonna be the bad guy. I'm gonna be the evil stepmother. I can't say no, I can't. Um... And I'm definitely not the strict parent <laughs> in, this, in this relationship. So so that's been a struggle. That, and... that put her in a position where like basic disciplinary things that maybe I was kind of like, oh, whatever, it's not that big of a deal. And now in hindsight, I see a lot of her points were like where she was dead on and, and her suggestions and the things that she was trying to teach him were right. And I wasn't taking it seriously. And so she's in that position where, oh, I have to be the evil stepmom and be and lay down this discipline. And that's not fair. And so I had to work at at changing my. Uh, my perception to really like back things up. And obviously we discuss these things ahead of time and, and come to agreements. Um, but I have to be willing to be conscious in the discussion and not just like she says, I have a concern about this and I'm just like, whatever, it's not a big deal because then that completely shuts down her perspective. And then, you know what? It's like, I'm the real parent. So what I say goes. So if I don't take something seriously, that's it. And that was causing some conflicts because you know it's not fair yeah to ask her to to take care of a child but not really have a, a say in how the child gets raised um that's something that i didn't even think of like it didn't even dawn on me until we had that conversation or yeah. till we so we had that conversation several times for me yeah. to really get it and we actually ha recently had a conversation with a friend who was also a step parent for some time and she worded it in a way that was very um I guess eye-opening and I guess put into words what I was feeling for so long. And she was explaining about how when you're a step parent, you you basically are making a decision to be very extremely vulnerable. Um, so as a step parent, you love the child unconditionally. This is this is your partner's 
offspring. How could you not love this child, right? Um, and you give the attention, the love, all of it. And knowing that at any moment this can end, because if Danny and I were to split up for whatever reason, Xander wouldn't be in my life anymore. And so it's choosing to give all of that love and affection and care, knowing that it can be taken away from you at any moment. And I think a lot of us struggle with, um, with attachment issues and even in relationships. So it's one thing to learn to have a non a relationship where we don't have attachments as a couple, but it's even stronger when it's with a child, um, to parent a child, to love a child. And in my situation, to love a child when I'm struggling through fertility issues is even deeper, right? This I, I have this desire to be a mother and I have this opportunity with a child that really is, you know, I, I'm not in, at times it, it can feel like I'm not an actual parent. You know, he has his mom and he has his dad and sometimes it's a little awkward, um, you know, the, being in that dynamic of knowing that there are certain times where it's going to be mom and dad, you know, it's, I, I can't, I'm not replacing his mom and children don't have these limitations on love. Like, oh, I only, I can only love my mom and my dad as my parent. Kids are very open with how, who they love and how they can love. And I think as adults, we tend to start limiting it. Like, oh, if I give away too much love, I'm going to run out of it. And it took a while for me to recognize I'm not going to run out of love. If I love him and one day for whatever reason he gets taken away from me, I didn't lose the love that I gave him. Um, but it is a, a very scary um, experience. It's scary to recognize that. Yeah. And it's, it's scary at times to feel like, I don't know, am I overstepping boundaries? Um, we had, we had dinner, um, uh, was it like a year ago? I think we were having dinner, uh, the the four of us um, with his mom, and he was he was doing something at the table, and I corrected him, and I had the instinct to do it because when we have dinner, and and you know if if he's doing something that I think I need to call attention to, I said it, and in the moment I kind of froze, like oh my god, but his mom's here, like it's not my place to do that, and it was really like it was really scary <laughs> in that moment. <laughs> And I think like sometimes the biological parents don't recognize that that's, a, you know, that's where I'm like filtering myself or saying, you know, can I say this in front of his mom? And even sometimes with Danny, I don't I have a hard time um, feeling confident, I guess, with how I parent. Um, luckily, we've kind of worked through that. So, you know, enough where it does take being vulnerable. A lot of a lot of our relationship issues ultimately come down to vulnerability. And yeah. me being able to say, hey, I can't be the evil stepmother. I don't want to be the evil stepmother. Or even just the emotionally distant stepmother. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, there I, I need you to be present when we're together. Um, you know, you're his biological parent, so he needs your attention. And I can give him all the attention in the world, but if you're not present, it's not gonna be enough for him. And it feels like rejection to me. And I understand he's not rejecting me, but he needs his his parent. And so it's taken us having these conversations and it's scary because nobody wants to be the one to say, hey, I don't feel like you're being present right now. And I, I need you to do this for the benefit of, our relationship as a couple, as parents, as 
parents with a child as co-parents with an ex-partner like yeah. this all needs it needs work for me i think the kind of conditioning right there's like the cultural conditioning where the dad tends to be less involved in the child like the mother does the mothering right and the dad is there to do certain things teach the kids how to ride a bike or whatever but it's like there's this idea that that fathers are less involved. Now I've always been more involved because for the first few years I was a stay at home dad with him. Um, so I've always been very heavily involved, but even then I kind of, I guess, developed the habit that when his mother was around, like I've had him all day. Now I can relax a little bit. Mom's home from work so she can take him. And so I kind of developed that pattern. So that carried over. So when we would be here and Vanessa's around, like, I feel like, oh, I can take a back seat. I can get on Facebook for a little while. And even though he's here and she's right, I haven't, I've only, I'm only seeing him half the week. So he wants my attention when he's here. He's like, oh, finally my dad. And I'm like, I don't know. You know, it was, it's not something that it's something that I've, I, that I've, changed for the most part. I mean, obviously it's something you always maybe it's a work in progress. <laughs> yeah, it's a work in progress for sure. But I'm certainly a lot better than I used to be. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I can definitely admit that there were those moments. And I think that comes with, um, I had a unique or not a unique, but I had a, maybe a, a, a less common situation of being the stay at home dad where in a way, maybe I, I kind of understood now better what my mother went through, right? Like where she wanted to go to the gym. Um, but instead of going to the gym, I was getting on Facebook or something, <laughs> you know, like having these Facebook debates. So yeah, I can, that kind of helps me uh, empathize with that a little bit, I guess. Yeah. And I think the the most important thing in, in the couple, for example, in, in our situation where we're navigating co-parenting, um, it's important to, as I said, be vulnerable, but also be willing to um, to listen to our partners. Um, it's difficult at times to, it's difficult to say these things, right? How do you tell, how do I, as someone who's not an actual parent, tell an actual parent, hey, I don't agree with what you're doing, right? There's this fear in me that he's gonna be like, well, you're not even a parent, like how, you know, and he's never said that to me, but I had that fear of him saying to me at some moment, you're not even a real parent. So what do you know? You know, like yeah. I'm his dad and I know what's best for him. And, you know, to a degree that may be true, there's, there's this intuition because there's the blood relationship, but um, as an outsider, I also have a different perspective as I'm watching how this a more objective one. Yeah, too. as I as I'm watching the relationship develop, I can see when Xander changes, I can see when Xander's looking for more attention. There's I'm I'm observing all of these reactions that he's having and that but then it's scary to have to say that and um ultimately it is a matter of, of being vulnerable. Um, I think if I had just shut it down and I did shut it down for a lot of years where I just would, you know, especially back when we were only seeing Xander on the weekends, I felt Xander really wanted Danny's attention. And if I was around, Danny would take that step back. Like, oh, Vanessa's here. She'll take care of his needs, you know, and not in a fully disengaged way, but kind of like taking a step back and I'm in a hyper observer mode I think a lot of the time and I'm sensitive to how people feel. I can kind of 
you know, get the impression. I used to feel like, oh, Xander wants attention and Danny's not giving him the attention. So what I started to do was I would withdraw. I would try to stay away um, as much as possible to try to give them alone time. And that was detrimental to our relationship yeah. because then we weren't experiencing the relationship of the three of us being a, a family. And that was activating a lot of my insecurities when she would withdraw like that. And I, I was not just feeling the rejection myself, but feeling like she was rejecting him as well. And I didn't, at first, didn't understand what she was going through. And it took us a few years to, to really work through that. Um, on both sides. And so if you're in my position where you have a new partner who's a step parent, be sensitive to that and and be supportive and allow them, you know, give them the space to have that voice. What she didn't understand was that I can sense her. She has a very like intuitive mothering kind of spirit. And I always felt like, oh, she's a better parent than I am to him, even though She's not his biological parent. And so I did want her input. And when she would be withdrawing that way or feeling like I can't give this input because I'm not his actual parent, it would frustrate me. Um, and sometimes I didn't always respond patiently to that and be and to be reassuring and say, no, it's okay. Like I respect you as a parent and I want your input. You know, it would be more like, why? Why aren't you telling him he should say please and thank you? He should. You're right. You know, like, and I would get frustrated and like it would come out more feeling like anger than it would like appreciation. So we have to, I have to be um, conscious of how I'm communicating and make sure that I'm letting her know that, yes, I find your parenting style, even though it's different from mine, I respect it. And I, I want you to contribute that. And I think it's good for him. I think it's good for all of us. And I think it's okay, even if we have to have the discussion, even if she says something that I disagree with and I you know, disagree, I'm not one of those people that thinks it's a bad thing to disagree in front of the children, right? As long as the children are involved in the resolution of the, of the conversation, right? Where it's not like we have a disagreement, then we send them away and we settle it. And then they're, they're not aware of the settlement. As long as the kids are kept part of the conversation and they can see us, you know, and if I said something wrong, I say, okay, babe, you're right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said it like that. Um, I think that's really important to, for the kids to witness that because that gives them the model of what their future relationship should look like or will look like, because that's the pattern that they're learning. So I think that that's hugely valuable um, for kids to be a part of that The conflict resolution part yeah. of it. Um, and yes, yeah, certainly in the beginning, I think that we were avoiding that um, yeah. because we were because I was withdrawing so much um, now. And and, you know, he's a little bit older, so I think he can understand it more. We do have conversations where if there's a disagreement, he's part of the resolution. He's you know, we're obviously not screaming at each other in front of him. But we'll have if we have a disagreement, we can talk through it and we can even explain to him, you know, what what it is that we're feeling or why we had this disagreement. Um, this past uh, Christmas, we were decorating our Christmas tree and all of a sudden I was just like in a bad mood and we kind of bickered a little bit while we were decorating and I just, you know, disappeared. I went to the bathroom or something and then. Um, I think like a couple of days later, we were having a conversation um, and I 
mentioned to Xander the fact that I had, I did have a miscarriage many years ago and that Christmas is a really difficult time for me. And I wanted him to know that I wasn't withdrawing just for, you know, for whatever, just to be mean or anything. I was vulnerable and I said to him, you know, sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes I get sad and I don't really know why. And I don't want you to think that I'm upset with you or that I'm upset with your dad or that I'm just being cranky for the sake of being cranky. Sometimes I'm just hurting and I don't know how to express that. And it's, I think some of us think like, oh, kids don't understand that, but they absolutely, they, it gives them the freedom to know that sometimes I don't understand my feelings and that's okay. Like it's okay for me to have this moment of sadness that I can't really communicate right now. But, you know, Vanessa had that moment. And then a couple of days later, she was able to put it into words and we had a conversation about it. And so I think it's so important to give kids the freedom to express themselves. We've had moments where you know, there, there were um, periods in in Xander's life where he had a little bit more of um, a feeling of missing his mom, like he was struggling to sleep at night. Mm -hmm. And we had to have these conversations of like, you know, it's it's especially when we transitioned, I think, from just the weekends to half of the week, it was a little um it was a little strange in the beginning, or if we had situations where his mom had to go away for work and he was staying with us for a, a few extra days and it would, um, it would make him uncomfortable because he ha already had a schedule of, I only come on the weekends and then Sunday night I'm going back home. And it he's like was, his mom. He, <laughs> he needs a very regimented like, schedule. Like structure. <laughs> yeah. And so it was, you know, we had to have these conversations of it's okay. I understand that it's confusing and it's frustrating. You have your schedule, you have an idea of, of where, you know, where you're supposed to be or where you're, you're going to go. And I understand if you miss your mom and we can FaceTime her, you can talk to her and, you know, I, I get it. <laughs> um, Somebody says they like my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think having these conversations where we allow kids to explore their feelings um, because it's hard for us as adults and maybe we have a better grasp on how to deal with our emotions, but kids are just learning that and, um, you know, seeing mom a few days a week and then seeing dad a few days a week it's confusing um i mean xander was very little when we started that um yeah that that transition of of being at two home in two homes at at you know um having two homes basically and i think he's he mainly got used to it i don't think that's something that he really questions now i can imagine that for older kids it would be a lot more difficult like he grew up with that change and yeah. as we're younger it's easier for us to adjust to, to situations but as kids start getting older it becomes confusing it becomes frustrating um it's your life gets changed up, you know, gets turned upside down. And if that's what it felt like for us as adults, because I felt that way, all of a sudden I have a child in my house, all of a sudden I'm, you know, uh, making dinner and I'm thinking about, well, what can I make the days that Xander's here that he's actually going to want to eat? Um, <laughs> and I keep telling her, make whatever you want and he's going to have to eat it because, you know, that's life. But, you know, I also <laughs> want him to be happy. I don't want to have to argue every time we have dinner. So, you know, it's slowly incorporating 
foods for him to try out. It's also difficult because the parenting style may be different, right? You, mm-hmm. you and Joanne had a particular style of parenting. Um, for me, I grew up a different way. You know, my my parents are my parents were immigrants and they were a lot more strict. They come from a small town. They're very conservative. So I had a more strict and rigid upbringing and all of a sudden being exposed to something completely different. It was hard. And, you know, it took a lot of conversations, a lot of, you know, back and forth as to which way was the right way. And let's try this or let's try that. Um, We've done a good job though. (laughs) We're trying. I'm going to give us props. You know, uh, two of the books that I want to, we've mentioned these books before, and I just want to mention them. Um, getting the love you want was such a great tool for us to be able to identify the source of a lot of the issues that we had. Um, it teaches you how to recognize, um, the childhood traumas and how they translate into kind of, you know, unhealthy behaviors in your romantic relationships. Um, it's kind of based on nonviolent communication. A lot of the techniques are nonviolent communication. I don't know if Harville Hendricks, um, was a student of Marshall Rosenberg, but it certainly seems like it. And the techniques are are um, definitely rooted in nonviolent communication. So we highly recommend both of these books. Both of these books were very crucial in us identifying a lot of the unhealthy behaviors and helping to fix them. Um, certainly it was harder, a lot harder for me to implement these strategies than it was for Vanessa, who is a very empathetic person. And really that's the basis of both these books is empathy, just putting yourself in your partner's shoes, trying to understand how they see the world um, so that you're not as offended and you don't take it personally when they have a different opinion or a different behavior. Um, And so that kind of removes a lot of the conflict. Um, So we just really highly, these, these tools have been so powerful for us. And so we just really recommend them to people. So um, if you are looking to learn more about these techniques that we kind of just skim over um, in our love stream, then check out these two books. They're both available on Amazon or, you know, I'm sure most bookstores. These are both best-selling books and really, really powerful. Yeah, um, I think... I was going to say something and now I forgot. (laughs) Um, I can't remember now. (laughs) (laughs) We were talking about, um, you know, Xander adapting to um, the new way of life. Yeah. I'm just thinking about, um, we were talking about the techniques in the books. Um, I think one of the major things is even identifying some of these triggers. Um, I don't think a lot of us uh, right away want to fix everything. And I think one of the major components is learning to identify, um, learning to. (laughs) I just have to address this. So, I've been, people have been saying this since we were on the Today Show. There were so <laughs> many comments about, oh, this is Portlandia. This is the cat. I, I mean, I understand that I, I've seen the commercials. I know Fred Armisen. I just don't see the resemblance. I'm sorry. I just can't. I can't. <laughs> and, and look, I see it. Do you? Yeah. I, where? I don't get this. 
I don't know what in the next in the next episode we'll do a side by side with a picture of him. So <laughs> great. <laughs> so thanks. maybe you can see it. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess I I guess I it's like it's offensive, right? Because Fred Armisen kind of always plays this dorky character. <laughs> so I'm like, thanks, <laughs> thanks, guys. Well, whatever, it's okay. I won't take it personally. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think one of the major things is just identifying these things. Once you can see them, it's a lot easier to have um, grace for yourself and for others. I don't think it, it needs to immediately be corrected. We have this habit of like, oh, I found this thing. This is this is what's triggering me. Now I have to fix it. And I think that we can be gentle with ourselves and patient and understand that it's going to take time. And the more we're able to identify that trigger, the easier it is to say, oh, this is just a trigger. It's not really what's happening in this situation. Yeah. Um, if you look at it that way, it's really, um, this is what they talk, talk about in mindfulness practice about living in the moment, right? So if, Vanessa says something to me that subconsciously reminds me of something my mother said to me or my ex-wife said to me, and it triggers the emotional response, not in this moment, but the, the emotional response I had, you're living in the past. Living in the moment is saying, okay, I'm having this feeling. This feeling is not about what you're saying right now. This feeling is about something in the past. So I'm going to, even if you have to take a second to kind of process it, let it go and just say, okay, wait, so what are you really saying? and then continue the communication. So you're living in this moment presently rather than assigning meanings to phrases or words or even tones from your past experiences. I think that has been hugely helpful for me. Um, it's not always like, it's it's hard in the moment, right? Because the emotion wells up and it's it's involuntary. Yeah. Right. And so sometimes, especially if it's a really powerful and a potent um, comment, or, emotion yeah. that comes up, it can be harder to like take a breath and step back a second. Because a lot of times in the beginning of our, of our relationship, I would just fly into a rage <laughs> or, you know, just be really hurt. And then as a defense mechanism to that hurt, fly into a rage. Right. That was the way I dealt with it. Um and I just dealt by th with things by shutting down. If I felt hurt by something he said, I would assign, you know, these all these other ideas from either past relationships or from my childhood, and I would just shut down. Okay, I can never say that again. I'm never going to address this thing again because it, this is this is reminding me too much. Uh, and even if I didn't recognize what it was reminding me too much of, I had already made these associations. If he's saying this thing to me, if he makes this comment about my parenting, he just doesn't think I'm a parent, so I don't have a say. And then boom, shut down. No need to talk about it anymore. I'm just going to step back and never, you know, never make a comment about parenting. I'm not going to parent anymore. I'm just going to babysit. When asked to babysit, I'm going to cook dinner and <laughs> that's it. Um, and, and that's not what I would want. That's not what I want from a partner. It, I want exactly. somebody fully engaged. And so I want to give you that permission to be fully engaged. I want you to, to love him like you're his mother. And I want you to have the freedom as if you were his mother. Um his extra mom. <laughs> yeah, a second mom, not a stepmom, a second yeah. mom. I think th there's also these these like strange feelings, right? Um 
like I've always had this like awkward reaction when we go somewhere and you know, not everybody knows our, our situation or our circumstances. And they'll say to him like your mom. And I always like freeze like, Oh my God, this is going to be the day where he's like, she's not my mom. You know, he's, he's never responded that way, which I think is, is kind of funny, but we've never had that conversation. Um, and I guess it's, it's, there's always this fear, right. That it's, it's inadequate. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not really his mom. And, you know, even when we were doing the Today Show interview, I had this fear, even now, sometimes, like, I have this fear of saying our child, we have a son, right? Like, there's, um, because I don't want to overstep boundaries. I don't want his mom to think like, oh, she's trying to take my my child away from me. I, you know, and I would never, I, you know, I, I make an effort for, um, to teach Xander to appreciate his mom. Um, like for example, you're, you're always reminding him to call her or, you know, FaceTime her or yeah, yeah. with mother's day or birthdays or, or, or all Christmas or yeah. all of that. Like I, I try to be very mindful. Um, I don't want her to ever think that I would want to take him away from her or that I would want to turn him against her in any way. I mean, I have no reason to, but, um, I feel as though um, sometimes that there tends to be this rivalry. And I think that there's no need for that. Once we're all secure in who we are and yeah. and our main interest as a co-parenting group is to love him and help, you know, help raise him in the best way possible. And the only way we can do that is by teaching him love also by loving him and teaching him love. If we were to say, you know, speak negatively about his mom in front of him, how damaging would that be to him? Yeah. And I mean, I, I fully trust that that's not happening at, you know, at, at her house either. I know that she's, you know, very mindful. She's thoughtful with the, you know, with how, uh, how we spend our time with him about us having enough time with him. Mm -hmm. Um, she's very thoughtful also with holidays and, you know, father's yeah. day and birthdays and things like that. So, um, I feel like we're very lucky that we have this, this pretty good, relationship. Well, I want to, I want to make a comment about that. I, I actually meant to make a comment about that earlier. I, I thought that too, like, you know, thank God that, that we have this kind of relationship, but the truth is that we've worked very hard to have this relationship. And even if you have a relationship right now with an ex or a co-parent that's negative, that's tense and, and has these kind of, um, negativity associated with, you can work towards a more positive relationship. You don't have to stay in that negative pattern. And it, it has to start with you, right? If your partner is not willing to extend the olive or ex-partner, um, extend the olive branch yet, you can start to do those things. You know, I've had to apologize for a lot of the things that I did in, in my marriage to my ex-wife. Um, I've had to and and sincerely, not just apologize so that we can, you know, make things better, but I genuinely do feel um, sorry for, for ways that I hurt her that were not necessarily intentional, that now I recognize I was responding to traumas in, in that relationship as well. Um, and I think things like that and things like Vanessa being vulnerable and saying, you know, I appreciate you letting me spend this time with your son and, and being a co-parent. Um, I think expressing those, even though like none of us have the right to like, like we have the right, 
right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm his father. I have the right to have a new partner. She has the right to have a relationship with my son because I say even say so even if she didn't approve, right? But it doesn't have to be like that. You know, a couple of weeks ago, um, we were planning to take a trip um, somewhere. And when he mentioned it to, to her where we were going, um, when my son mentioned it to his mother, she wasn't happy about it. And she sent me an email and said, you know, I don't, I don't approve of this. And I could have said, well, too bad. He's my son. I have the right to do it with him. I want to do it with him. So we're doing it, period, end of story. And what would that have accomplished? Yeah, maybe I could have had this experience with him, but I feel like the negative, the the, the damage it would do to our co-parenting relationship, the damage that w of Xander seeing, witnessing that, I think would have been terrible. And I don't think it was worth it. So, and maybe at some point in the future, she will be comfortable with it, or maybe she won't. And it's, it's maybe it's just the sacrifice I have to make. But I was able to communicate to her in a very respectful, empathetic way. And vulnerable way, I think. And, and vulnerable way, yeah. Where I was able to say, look, I understand um, your reservations about this. And I can respect that. And okay, if if you really feel that strongly, um, you know, I can make a compromise with you and say, all right, we won't do this. Um, at the same time, I want you to be a little bit more respectful of my role as his parent. You know, it's not, I, I was able to empathetically set boundaries and say, I'm not a second class parent. I'm not, you know, you're not the primary parent and I'm the lower next parent and you can override my decisions. We make these decisions together. And I think that's an important part of making sure that this relationship works as co-parents is that we are respectful of each other's decisions. And we are willing to compromise in an empathetic way and not where there's, you know, it doesn't have to be that like we're demanding and sticking up for our rights or protesting for our rights. Um, and one of the things that you also said was if you disagree with, you know, um, if you have reservations about certain things, let's talk about it. Let's yeah. have a conversation about it. Um, don't don't let things slide and then later say, I let all of these other things slide and this is where I draw the line. Right. Let's have the conversation from the beginning. Let From the moment that you feel uncomfortable with something, let's have that conversation. I want you to feel comfortable having that conversation with me. And I think perhaps that was really important because in the past, your attitude wasn't to allow those conversations. You have a very strong personality yeah. and, you know, um, it can be intimidating at times, or it used to be intimidating. Yeah, I know. Um, I can recognize that. And so I, I, you know, to a certain degree, I understand why she might have, you know, let things slide saying this isn't worth me having an argument over or getting into a fight over it. And I think, you know, changing our, our ways of approaching these things, because like Danny said, he could have easily said, well, I have just as equal rights as you do. And I, if I want to take him somewhere, I'm going to take him. But that would just create a power struggle between the both of you. Uh, Xander would have been caught in the middle, not knowing whether to say, yeah, I want to go with my dad or no, I want to stay with my mom. And who am I going to upset in that moment? Um, we actually asked Xander how he felt about the trip. And you could tell he already felt like yeah. I'm in the middle. Like, he was what afraid. do I do? <laughs> he was afraid to tell me that he didn't think it would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> he thought it was going to be a boring trip. And you know what? That's fine. 
I have no problem with him saying that I just don't think this is going to be fun. I really don't want to do this. You know, I'd rather him say that than, you know, I also was afraid that, you know, maybe his mom was trying to, you know, put those From ideas Vincent, in his head, yeah. like, don't do it. But if that's the case, I have no issue with that. And, you know, like I said, I'm willing to compromise. And I know from my ex-wife's perspective, when we were married, I was a very different person. And I would have probably bullied her until she submitted to my opinion. And I had have done that. And that's something that I had to apologize for. You know, I'm Italian and we can argue. We get like we get loud. And, you know, when me and my dad have arguments over politics, it's who can get the loudest. That's who wins the argument, <laughs> right? So, um, you know, that's what Sunday dinners are like. It's in some Italian households. And I'm sure maybe other households as well. Yeah. But um, so I recognize that that's um, an unhealthy behavior that I had in our in our marriage. And so, you know, we're not as close as we were then. So she doesn't know that I'm more empathetic now, maybe. She doesn't really realize the full extent of it. I think she can see it, especially in the way that I've been interacting with her, telling her, look, if you have a, pro a problem with something that we're doing, please talk to us about it. Let us know. And we can, we can either explain our reasoning so that it helps you feel better about it, or we can make compromises or whatever it is, but we want that communication to be open. Um, and so I think she must be able to see some of that change. I mean, and ultimately, if she doesn't, it's um, it's still our job or in our best interest to have these, you know, to have these conversations, to try to continue having these conversations. Um, I think sometimes we make changes and we assume that the other person automatically knows that we've made those changes. Yeah. And there's no way, right? There's no way to know. Right. Um, we communicate like very simple things like what time are you know what time are you bringing him what time are should we pick him up, should we pick him up? um this is our plan for homeschooling this you know we he already played four hours of Fortnite today <laughs> don't let him play anymore yeah so we we do try to communicate as much as possible but sometimes those communications are so small and simple that there's no way to know all of the inner work that we're doing and i think one of the most beautiful things that i've seen is as we're as we're working through our relationship and the things that you've um you've healed from or that you're working to heal from they're also being applied to that past relationship you are as as you make amends for things yeah. for mistakes you've made in this relationship you've also gone back and made you know tried to make amends for the things you did in the past relationship yeah. and um it's very easy to say well i'm not in that relationship anymore so who cares like she probably doesn't need to hear that and maybe she doesn't you know maybe she's moved on from that and doesn't really doesn't. care or he doesn't but um it does it does help in some way to apologize for it to recognize because there is a sense of validation in that and like you know as i said it doesn't it isn't necessarily um not everybody needs that validation but it doesn't hurt to know that the person that you were with has grown in some way yeah. especially when we're co-parenting for her to recognize like okay he's grown and he's co-parenting my child and so he's you know, like I know that his his mentality or his attitude has changed a little bit. Yeah, and it's it's so helpful. It provides a sense of peace, at least, to know, like, okay, my partner's showing some growth and some maturity, and I can trust that my child is in good hands. And you know, maybe that's one of the the fears, right? When you decide I I want to take him on a trip here, um, 
how would she know where you are without fully having that conversation with you? And so to respond that way kind of puts things into perspective a little bit more. Ultimately, we have no control over anybody else but ourselves. And sometimes you're going to find yourself apologizing for things and the other person's not going to care. The other person's not going to change. The other person's not going to respond in the way you expect them to. And that's okay. I mean, it's uh, everybody's fighting their own battles. Everyone's doing their own work or not doing their work. I mean, we don't know. And I think the best we can do is to try to have empathy, especially when children are involved. Um, it's a lot of work. And I think ultimately we do it in hopes that our kids don't have to go through the same cycles that we have gone through. And how beautiful is it to see, to have Xander see his parents, you know, having a nice relationship. I mean, a couple of years ago, Xander was sick. We spent Christmas morning there mm -hmm. and you know, that we can have that type of relationship where it's not like he's split up or divided. One of the things we tell him is like, now you have an extra family, you know, you have like more grandparents, you have more cousins and more aunts and uncles. And that's beautiful. Um, it's beautiful that we can have that that instead of him feeling like he lacked something, he's gained something. And to see his his mom and stepmom, you know, talking and, and laughing at times together, that's, I think that's a big deal. And I think it would benefit way more children if more adults were um, in a position to, it takes setting your ego aside. Yeah. That's really what it is. Yeah. Yeah, to, to set your ego aside, to, to recognize that even if someone's hurt you, they're hurting you because they are also have been hurt. And so if you can have compassion, even if they're lacking compassion for you, it can heal that relationship. Uh, I think that kind of goes back to what I was saying before, that if you have a negative relationship with your ex right now, you can heal that. I mean, and it may take a lot of work and maybe it won't ever be healed, but it doesn't hurt to try. It, it can only benefit you, even if they refuse to respond to it. Um, it certainly will help you to become just more compassionate and free of those things that were holding you back um, to love your new partner or if, if and when you have a new partner, to love them more openly. Um, because what happens is when we pile on these, I keep saying this over and over, but it's just so true. When you pile on these um, self-defense mechanisms, it protects you for sure. It protects your heart from feeling the hurt. Um, I don't think it really protects you from being hurt because I think they're still buried down, down in there. It may numb you to the pain so you don't feel as hurt. But when you can't feel that hurt, you also can't feel love as deeply and as potently. Um, so you're also limiting the love you can feel. So you know, you have this relationship with an ex and they were terrible to you and maybe they're, uh, you know, being abusive to you now, um, using the kids as weapons against you, using them to manipulate you. You're not going to see them unless you give me X amount of, uh, of child support. I'm going to go to the court and this, that, and the other thing and all those things. I mean, I have friends that are unfortunately going through these traumas, but um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> You can still um, you can still make you can, you can still, still heal yourself um, in the process of trying to heal it with them, even if they refuse to, and and even if they're dug in and they refuse to be vulnerable with you, um, it's still healing you to be vulnerable with them. So I think it's it's still beneficial, even if they refuse to respond. And it's beneficial to your kids because oh, yeah. if they're.
experiencing, um, you know, a parent who is abusive or, um, I don't know, feeling um, a lot of, um, what's the word I'm thinking? <laughs> if they're feeling resentment towards towards the other parent, you know, that's what the kids are exposed to. Now, you can be an example for your child and say, okay, I understand that mom or dad is reacting this way, but I'm still going to choose to be loving. I'm still going to choose to be understanding and even teaching your kids, you know, mom or dad is hurting right now. They're, they're struggling and, you know, they're behaving this way. It's not against you. It's not a, even against me. It's, they're just really hurt right now. And we have to be patient and understanding. And that gives your child a different perspective because it's difficult to be stuck in the middle of two fighting yeah. parents and to feel like all you get, all you experience or witness on either side is anger or resentment or frustration to at least be able to give your child a sense of peace when they come over where they're not hearing you know you speak negatively about your ex yeah. or complain about your ex or you know fill their head with ideas it's never healthy to say to your child you know your parent your your other parent is toxic or mean or angry or just being vengeful for no reason Ultimately, it all comes down to pain. Ultimately, it comes down to suffering. They're suffering. They're being tormented inside. And the only thing we can do is be empathetic and love them. And to teach your child that lesson, um, you know, ultimately, when kids grow up, if they've been, you know, if they've dealt with a toxic parent, maybe as they get older, they can have that um I don't know, that strength to stand up to their parent and say, hey, mom or dad, I, I don't like the way you've been treating me all of these years. I don't appreciate this. You know, let's either either we're going to work to fix our relationship or I'm going to have to set boundaries because I am not going to accept this. There's um, we can't control what the other parent is going to do, but you can be a model for what a healthy relationship looks like with for your child and for them to have at least one healthy relationship is better than none. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Well, we went over, we went over, <laughs> but you know, I feel like this was a really great conversation and um, thank you so much for watching. Um, as always, I definitely want to go over the social media. Um, please follow us on social media and we want to, particularly promote these two um, social media platforms, minds.com and float, which um, these are both privacy centric and censorship free platforms. Um, right now with big tech, Facebook and YouTube openly saying they are going to censor um, vaccine choice content. They're going to censor anything uh, criticizing the world health organization in light of the coronavirus and a lot of the information that's out there. Um, they're openly saying they're going to censor anybody that criticizes the world health organization. Um, they're going to start taking down conspiracy quote unquote conspiracy theory, um, content, which a lot of times includes holistic medicine, um, uh, naturopathy, you know, now it's apparently a, con a conspiracy theory that vitamin C can help your immune system, um, you know, defeat disease. This is now a conspiracy theory. Well, float and minds.com are committed to not censoring. So I highly suggest you join those platforms. Um, if not, if not as your primary social media, at least as a backup for now, uh, until 
Facebook goes totally, you know, China style censorship. <laughs> um, but we are also on the big platforms. So you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Um, please subscribe and like, so you don't ever miss any of our content. We really appreciate it. It helps us to share this content. And you know what, if you got something out of this episode, please share it, share it to your social networks. And, you know, maybe some of your friends will also, um, get something out of it. So, and we'd love to hear, um, your perspective. We'd yeah. love to hear about your experiences. Um, if any of this resonates with you, if you have better ideas or, or other topics, um, that you would love to hear us cover or, yeah. you know, definitely leave us some comments. Um, we're looking for uh, new topics to discuss. I mean, as of right now, we've just been sharing our own experiences, which yeah. I mean, we're we're struggling through it just like everybody else. Um, we've been triggering each other like oh, crazy yeah. every day, <laughs> every day. But that every day is a new opportunity for us to learn something about each other. And the more we trigger each other, the more the deeper we get into our relationship, and that's always a plus. So yeah. Um, so thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you guys next week. Yeah, it's a beautiful day out here and we're in Brooklyn and it's beautiful. So we're going to go get some outside time now and you guys should do the same. Go enjoy the day. Enjoy your, the rest of your weekend and um, see you guys next week. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Love Stream podcast. Please subscribe now and join us bi-weekly on Sundays at SovereignLoveStream.com for our live video broadcast. Please check out our social media on censorship-free platforms like Minds.com, Float.app, and Odyssey.com. Find links to all of our social media at SovereignLoveStream.com. If you would like to support our show with an energy exchange, visit us at Patreon.com slash SovereignLoveStream. Thank you for listening.